From the depths of desperation to the heights of financial freedom, we unmask the stories of courageous warriors who battled their money monsters. Join us to deep dive into Financial Survivor Stories. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Financial Survivor Stories. Today we have Anise Cavallo. She is the owner of Eda Property, and what an amazing woman she is. She has actually been named the goddess of wealth and time. She helps all women from all backgrounds get a step onto the property ladder. She had to go to rock bottom and lose it all, including being a single mom. And now she is the proud owner of 15 properties. Keep listening for some awesome tips from an amazing woman. Welcome. Anissa, to a, another episode of Financial Survivor Stories. I am so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us today. You are a single mother who has faced the loss of absolutely everything. And this is a huge story of resilience, isn't it? Yes. I think uh, it's when you're a mother, you also realise that you've got no choice. You've got to carry on. There's nothing like becoming completely responsible for another human being um, that will help you understand that you, you really have no choice. And that's been a wonderful thing for me, right, that I had to. If I didn't have children, maybe it would have been different. So the single mother thing I talk about a lot, I wear it almost like a badge of honour, but it is a big thing, right, to be a single mum and then have all these other, you know, jobs that we've got to fulfil in life. And, and I think um, it's trickier than it's ever been for us women. Be- being a mother in general let alone yeah. having to deal everything. You know, like people say it time and time again, it takes a village. Where's where's the village gone? Yeah, 100%. There isn't one and that is one of the problems. And I think that's very much an Australian uh, a thing. I, I don't know about the parts of Europe, the village does get involved, but we here are very independent. We have our partner, we have our yeah. jobs and we have our kids and everybody else is kind of separate. Um, and you're right, it's not just single mums, it's all mums because we all need to work these days, Carly. You know, we don't have the yeah. option of of saying, well, I'm going to stay home and just focus on this full-time job because that's what it is. We've sort of got to juggle two, three, four things. It's not even a full-time, like it's more than a full-time job, isn't it? It's like you're starting a business but three at a time having a, a child I, I had just recently had have one had one what did, I, I can't even speak now you see because I had a child you had that's one. Exactly, for anyone <laughs> listening that's exactly what it does to your brain um yeah so, okay, let, let's stop that because I really want people who don't know you to understand you so yep. can you share some sort of some stories from back long time ago and where this all started well it gosh it started when I was born in 1975, but let's not go back there. I <laughs> not that far. Calm down. <laughs> How long have you got? Um, so I am. I had a, a funny childhood, and a lot of people that have heard my story will have heard this: that I had a wonderful, loving family, and I had an incident when I was younger. And I think we all have one of these incidences that have this massive impact on us, and we can never work out why. You know, it wasn't abuse in the sense that other people have experienced in their life but it had this profound effect on the way that I see myself and it was at school and and I had a teacher that didn't like me and the memories are terrible I still tear up thinking about how I was treated at a really young age and it created this this monster in me that just wanted to be liked right and it was Mm -hmm. and I wanted to prove I was good because this teacher had decided I was naughty because I was very tall and I had my period in grade three and I was at a Catholic primary school where if you had your period you must have been promiscuous and I couldn't have been more frigid you know than I than I was and so I was desperate to prove to people that I was good and yet I was never going to fulfill that because I was, it was them that was the problem, you know, and I wasn't the prettiest and I wasn't the most popular and I didn't have the trendiest clothes because I was a wog and my mother didn't let me wear rara skirts like everybody else. So, <laughs> so I. And I now you're a swan, just saying. And, but yeah, <laughs> thank you. Now I wear rara skirts all the time. <laughs> um, and I ended up you know, finding a thing and I and I tell this story that one of the things I had that no one else wanted to be was I was smart, right? And and I, I had no competition in that state because no child or young girl at that age wanted to be the smartest. They wanted to be something else, you know, the most popular, the prettiest, etc. So I kind of carved out that niche. I thought, all right, I'll take that. That's something, you know, that's my identity. 
And then what happened is I was one of the first people to work and I remember very vividly one of the first of my girlfriends to work at an at a age that we shouldn't have been in nightclubs but we were and I can remember going to a club and all my friends would say, look, I've, there's a group of guys over there that are um, shouting drinks or they've got some money, let's go and be nice to them. And I thought I'm going to end up with the one that nobody else wants, right? That's where I'm going to end up. They'll get all the good ones. So I'm not doing that and I have a job. So I've got money. So I'm going to go to the bar and I'm going to buy myself a drink and all those people are drinks, right? So I did it. And I can remember handing them all out and everyone going, oh, she's all right. Oh, my God. And it was like this moment in my life where everything changed because I realised money, money was my magic thing. That would make me popular. That would make me everything I wanted to be. I just had to buy things for people, right? So that's where it began and I became somebody that bought love, bought friendship, bought boyfriends, bought everything, right? And 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 it was a very successful I guess initiative for a while or I thought it was on the surface it works, right? I'm generous and I can do this and I can have fun and people want to come along for the ride. Um, but eventually you haven't really dealt with the demons and it doesn't work and and one of the problems for me was that I kept attracting men and if I have a look at my my history of men in my life, it wasn't that they found me, I found them. I always found people that needed me to support them. And I almost financially abused them in a way, right? Because I always wanted to have financial control because I was so petrified that if I didn't have it, they'd leave me, right? And so that was the only thing that I felt in my tiny little ego that I had over anyone. And so I kept entering relationships with people that, you know, um, didn't necessarily contribute financially. There was varying degrees. I had one that was an outright shyster and, you know, I ended up making a report with police and getting an intervention order for something like 20 years. And that was very early days. He was somebody that had changed names and was a serial offender. Um, Another person that was a dear friend but just smooched on my couch or mooched on my couch, I should say, and really just didn't contribute anything and I paid for everything and he was like a toy boy almost, you know. And then to, um, you know, the final situation which, you know, I I feel sometimes like it was my fault. I I was with somebody that wasn't able to contribute as much financially and yet I sort of created it in a way, you know. It's a projection of I don't want that, but because I don't want it and I keep telling myself I don't want it, I keep bringing it to myself. What am I doing? Yes, that's right. It's a cycle. That's right. Absolutely. And I think also we've got motivations, you know, people will – we want to be in control, we want to feel secure and in the end, for me, that was the most important thing to me was that I felt that I was secure and that this person wasn't going to leave me. I don't know why this abandonment issue, I think we've all got some sort of abandonment issue and for me that if somebody was wealthier and, you know, et cetera than me, I, I had this fear that they wouldn't want me and so I ended up in a situation where I was a full-time mum but I was also a full-time worker and a breadwinner and I, I really almost had a breakdown. I think I think I've had lots of them. And they do say that there's yeah, and like you, almost Come yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Oh, I did have lots of them. There. You've heard that there's a very close relation to spiritual enlightenment. So basically, a um, full mental breakdown is basically the same as full spiritual enlightenment. So I've been spiritually enlightened many okay, times same. in my life. Yeah. Absolutely, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. And, and are we talking in your twenties right now? Well, I've just given you the full story. So that that uh, my early relationships, so three relationships I mentioned, one of them was in my 20s, one was in my 30s, one was in my okay. late 30s to 40s, yeah, right? Yeah. And they're just the ones I'm picking out. I'm saying that this is the sort of, you know, yeah. the, the pattern that I was creating in my life. Exactly. And a lot of it was based on how I saw myself as a woman. You know, and that wasn't all my fault. That was society and and me and, you know, just where I had come culturally to believe that I was worthy. And so that's what I felt that I had to give, you know, that um, it wasn't enough just to be who I was, that I had to be more than that. So I think there's a real story in it for women because, I, I now help women, as you know, um, I help them get out of financial difficulty or to be the best that they can be in their lives. And my, my vehicle of choice is property because of my own experiences. And many of these women get themselves in trouble 
because they're not equipped with the right information, because they're too scared to come out and talk about what's bothering them. They're too frightened to question something because they're told they shouldn't, they don't have enough, you know, self-worth. So it does come back to being a woman and, and you know, culturally how we see ourselves, not just the fact that we don't earn as much and that we take time off to have children. It's sort of a, a really, I think it's more um, insidious than that. Who takes time off to, to have children though? That, that's the most pressurising thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're lazy apparently you know or if you you know if, if you if you're a, a mom and you have a job well that's just the done for thing you know yeah. that that's just normal but I, I really don't think that that is it's you know to, to actually you, you can't understand it until you've actually had a child you can't understand how stressful it really is and you know your brain is absolutely everywhere Mm, absolutely and you've got to make decisions and sacrifices all over the place that people don't understand and also it's the guilt that comes with it Yes. Every single time you are on your phone, every time you you are, you know, just just for a second, just what, just one minute. I'll just be one minute. It's all one one minute, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, those minutes they turn into hours, and that's the only it's the only way that you can survive by doing that. Yeah. I mean, you actually said that you hit rock bottom. I mean, that sounds heavy. What happened? Well, I guess the worst happened. Everything that I'd feared and that I was fighting for. And the funny thing is that that rock bottom wasn't the hard bit. It was trying to not hit rock bottom that was the hard bit. You know, when you're Mm. on that slide and you're trying to stop yourself, that's enormously exhausting. But once I was at the bottom, I was like, okay, I'm here. Oh, okay. Is that it? Right? So it was this wonderful liberating thing in a way, but I lost everything. So I had um, entered a relationship. This is before I had kids and I had a couple of properties. I had a very successful business. You know, I had I had performed the way that I felt I needed to perform to be this woman that I wanted to be in life, right? And I had financially succeeded. I'd worked out that money was my thing and so I, I smashed it. But then the idea of losing that was probably one of the biggest fears in my life for many, many years, right? It didn't even come into my consciousness because it was impossible for me to do that. And yet it happened. It all went. Um, so by the time that I, I separated, there was one property in our super fund left. There was nothing else left. There was no business. There was no money. There was a lot of debt. There was nothing. And I remember I because I was so desperate to not be where I was and not accept that it was gone and that was okay and you know I I tried to buy a house I walked out and tried to buy a house I I came up with this ridiculous scheme of uh, having a really long settlement I found a property that had been on the market for a long time I approached the seller and said look I'm going to come back I've only got this money in my bank account I'll give you that which is everything I had, right? Everything. And I'll top it up every month and I'll rent the house off you until I've paid the deposit, right? But of course, I mean, that was just me not accepting that it was all over. You know, I was kind of just grabbing onto everything I could. And um, of course, I was going through a separation. There's a lot of um, financial stress, but also just mental stress that you go through. I wasn't 100%. I was mid-spiritual enlightenment in inverted commas. And it didn't work and I lost that deposit in the end. They were lovely, but they said, look, we can't hang on any longer. You're going to have to get out. And I can remember the day that I was um, I was staying around the sort of Mornington area and there was a cafe and upstairs, this cafe, there's a little bar and I was just down, I was sitting on the balcony having a drink. I can't remember where my kids were, but I know they were safe. Like I would never leave my kids somewhere. I just that I don't remember if they were at school or something. I just but I have this vivid memory of sitting up there and my mum was trying to call me and I wouldn't answer. I finally did and I told her where I was. She came up and she said, Nissa, you've got to come home. And I just started crying and she started crying. And that was my rock bottom because, you know, I was in my 40s and going home and it was frightening. But, but and quite rightly, I know that this story was told on Channel 7 and, um, and it was posted and someone made the comment, well, you're lucky you get to go home. And they're right right? But they are right. I am so fortunate. And this has been one of the things that's really helped me through this process. I had nothing left. All the things that I thought I wanted to be grateful for, you know, my my cars, my clothes, my freedom, all the things I'd worked hard for, they were all gone. And so I had no choice but to find the things that really mattered in life and to be grateful for those things. And gratitude was a massive process of me recovering. And, and, and those people were right. I'm 
I was and I started to realise it took me probably 12 months that I was lucky that I had parents that could take me in and help me, right, because there's lots of people that don't, lots of women that don't. So, so my rock bottom was this sense of, you know, all right, I'm here. I can't believe it. You know, and it was kind of all went quiet. It was almost lovely. It's the anxiety, isn't it, of the overthinking, the constant not being able to separate any thoughts and actually collectively go, okay, number one, number two. It's like the awareness completely goes. The big, heavy cloud comes over. The awareness goes. Something could be in front of your face saying, hello, I'm the answer right yeah. here. Yeah. And you're like, can't see anything. No. What did you do? What, 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 what were the first steps? I mean, obviously you've got there and you're, you're kind of taking a breath now, aren't you? You're seeing it all laid out and you're thinking, okay, this is actually happening to me. In fact, everything that was I thought was going to happen is now happening. How did you get yourself out of that? Well, at first I went going home. That was step one. I think admitting defeat and going back to mum and dad for me was a was yeah. a really big step of you are you're admitting defeat at least there's a step in the right direction and then I plateaued for a while and I I think I went a bit crazy I was drinking too much I was you know really in this zone of I'm okay I'm okay I'm working hard and running around but I was manic and you know try, saying oh, I'm fixing it I'm fixing it and there was probably six months of me just being a bit crazy. And the the benefit of that, though, was I was working really hard. I'd taken away the stress of it's funny that when I most needed the money, I was almost catatonic. You're right. It was just this black cloud and I couldn't work because I had to pay a bill. And the best thing that I could have done was go and get a client and work with a client. But I was just too stressed because I had to pay this bill, right? So I, when I, when that pressure came away, I was able to do my job properly again. But I threw myself into my job and I threw myself into just becoming this workaholic. So I had another sort of problem to deal with in a way eventually. And, um, but, but that was good for me. I did, I did realize that it, I was going to have to come back. I didn't at that point set any ridiculous goals. I didn't say I'm going to be here in 12 months. I didn't say, I need to do this or, you know, I'm going to create this plan and, and be taken over by, I, you know, I didn't do what Anissa usually does, which was create a strategy and the strategy will fix it. <laughs> yeah. I just said it is now head down and bum up, just keep going, just keep walking and don't think, don't look, don't say anything, just walk, right? So I, and because I was at mum and dad's, I had the potential to do that. I could do that. I could just keep my head down and my bum up and I did. Um and then I started to work with a number of clients that had listened to me because I remember I'd been in property five years before that and I had been giving clients advice on what to buy and I hadn't necessarily listened exactly to my own advice because we never do. So I'd done things that I said to them, that's too risky, don't do that, it'll cost you too much money, oh, don't bother with that, right? But I was doing it myself. That's why you're saying it to them. Yes, yes. You've probably done something like that and you've, you've got the T-shirt and you're like, don't do that, even though you're going to do it again. But anyway, yes. that's why. But I think, oh, you can't do that, but I can because I can yeah. take it, right? Why? Yeah. Why am I making it harder for myself? So true. You know? So mm. I then said, I have an idea. Why don't I just listen exactly to my own advice and do exactly <laughs> what I tell a client to Go do? Go and see yourself for a session. Like, Lisa, I'm going to come here. Hi. Hi, Nissa. Hi, Nissa. So. <laughs> That's right. I'd so, That's I was, another I'm level sh- of uh, spiritual enlightenment, hey? Absolutely. Yeah. I was definitely talking to myself on various occasions, <laughs> many, many occasions. And so I started to just do what I what I had taught clients to do and every single penny I earned I put towards property appreciating assets. I stopped dealing with depreciating assets. I stopped spending on things that, you know, I liked spending on. And, and now I do again, of course, I, but I pick my things. It has to make me very happy. So, for example, people always joke about my car. I've got this 10-year-old car that's got rips in the leather and things like that, but I'm not a petrol head. I actually really don't care about cars. And so I'm not going to spend on a depreciating asset unless that depreciating is a depreciating asset is clothes because that's my thing, right? I absolutely love clothes and shoes and, you know, so I will pick my mark. It's got to give me a lot of pleasure. Otherwise, I won't do it anymore. You're reminding me of The Rich Life. Ah, I haven't read it. Is that a book? 
No. No. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll actually link it in. And what he actually says, he's a financial advisor. I can't remember his name off the top of my head now, but he's a financial was and decided that money is, you know, it's it's kind of the root of all evils, but it's also the root of all good if you know how to manage it correctly and choose what what is your evil type thing. So what's your rich life? It doesn't have to be that you need to be a millionaire or you need to be have a fancy car and have clothes, and but you can't have everything. You've got to choose your vice. So we've all got one of yeah. them, or at least a couple, and choose what that make. When you spend that money on that, how does it make you feel? Does it make you feel like that's your rich life? You know, it might be that I really want to go all out and do those Pilates classes that cost me a ridiculous amount of money, you know, or I, I, I want to go and, you know, take my child to wherever. And that is your rich life. And it's about parking the other stuff getting the cheap car, get you can't have everything, choosing that one piece. So your piece is your clothes. Absolutely. And I, I, it, it's funny because I teach people a lot about um, about financial freedom because people, I see clients all the time and they say, I want to be financially free. And I say, what does that mean to you, right? And this is coming back to your point. And they say, oh, you know, I need $2 million. Okay, what for? Uh, I, I don't know, right? So, so yeah. they've got really no understanding of what because you don't, you know, are we buying houses to tell all our friends that we own 10 houses? Maybe. There are some people that that's their rich life, right? That's what they like. But yeah. most of us have got a specific lifestyle that we want to fund and it's actually quite simple. There was a study done, I think it was Princeton University, don't quote me, but they did it many years ago and they did this wonderful correlation between earning more income and happiness, right? And what they found was that when you went from $30,000 a year, it was in America, to $50,000 a year, then $80,000 a year, the curve was, you know, you had this, this sort of exponential increase in happiness. And once at that point, about 10 years ago, once you hit $90,000 a year, all of a sudden the curve slows until it starts to go backwards. And so if what we want is just to be happy, right, then we probably don't need a million dollars a year. Most of us really just need to know that we've got the choices to be able to spend the things that we really, that do give us that, our version of a rich life. So I do try and teach a lot of clients that because otherwise getting financially free is overwhelming. And the honestly, people don't need 15 properties. I do that because I'm in the industry. I take risks. This is my life, right? And I, and I have said a number of times to um, when I'm interviewed, I've said I'd prefer not to make it 15 properties as a headline because I'm not telling people that they should go out and buy 15 properties. Why would you have 15 properties, 15 tenants, 15 mortgages, you know, 15 headaches if you don't need it, yeah? Yeah. So what you need is a you need to understand what is your goal, what is your rich life. I love that term. I'm going to keep using yeah, it. Because what is your rich life? Because <laughs> if it's being chill and going uh, and spending most days on the beach and just being with your child, then 15 properties is just literally not for you. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> but but <laughs> it is. So, so it, is. it sounds nice and fluffy. It's not actually that your rich life. So that's that's no. amazing. It's like no. what what is going to really satisfy you? So when you get up in the morning, you think I love my life. This is great. It's going to make me smile, not another headache yeah you know I think that's what makes the difference absolutely and let me tell you waking up every day to 15 mortgages is not the not everybody's no? idea of fun well <laughs> for me it's different right and I it, yeah. it's different because I'm in the industry and I love the I, I know my risk appetite wonderfully and I know that I've got a massive risk appetite and that sort of thing really drives me yes. but for most people the idea of more than a few like more than three or four is 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 hell and possibly outside their potential so if you start saying you got to have 15 properties to be happy I'll tell you what 80% of the population's out because they know that's unachievable for them if you say that you know two to three good quality properties or you're just trying to strive for happiness and that could be $80,000 a year then they're back in again because all of a sudden it's also possible you know it's in the realms of possibility you you, you say that you um you work with people that don't want to work forever yes yes what, what does that mean well, unfortunately, many people are stuck. And I, I work with a number of people that would like to be retired and can't be, right? Yeah. And I think that in my, I was the last of the generations that were taught that if you're not working, you're not worth anything. And it was kind of cool to say, oh, yeah, just been working hard. Whereas we have these mm -hmm. next generations that are much cleverer and realising there's nothing cool about working hard, right? No, <laughs> nothing at all. And so... No. And, and so many of us are trapped and we're working hard and we can never get out. But 
I most of most people that I speak to would love the opportunity to work because they love it, not work because they have to. And and this is the thing I say, there's nothing that will make you enjoy your work more than if you no longer have to do it. To, you yeah. know. So most of us would probably enjoy what we're doing as long as we didn't have to go just to pay the bills. So, um, what about I, you? You want to yeah. work forever? I, well, I, I mean, I, you, you love the kind of person that would get bored if you didn't work. Well, I think I working because I love it. I'm, I don't yeah. want to be stuck in this kind of I'm working because I have to in order to pay for my children <laughs> and I'm not there anymore. So I'm okay, you know, so I love it. And I do, look, this whole business I've done as a as a very big, not mistake, but it just came organically. It came naturally. It came from my journey, my own journey. And I'm very privileged and grateful to be in a position where it's come to me and it's just been the right thing for me. You know, I never dreamt. I always thought I'd be in the corporate world, in financial services, running a bank one day. Um, and thank God I'm not. <laughs> well, you know, when you, you said grateful like that, what... Because there must be so many people, and and it's so true when you sit back and you look at your negative, the negative things that happened to you, and actually put them to a positive light as to why they're happening to you, and actually sort of change the perspective on it. That's clearly what you've done. Yeah. What's the ritual that you do? Is there something that you do that that some that other people, if they're listening, and they're going through the same thing, they they can do themselves? Yes, absolutely. So yeah, yeah, I, you did ask me that before, and I didn't answer it. Sorry. So okay, there's a few things. So. I talk about this, these couple of rituals that have been really, really important to me. I talk about four things. Two of them are, um, are mindset things and two of them are physical things that you're just going to have to get your mind around if you want to succeed, you know. So um, so two of the well, the first one is gratitude. Gratitude's imperative and I don't mean gratitude in the sense of, you know, when you're sitting on a Friday night having a glass of wine and the children are a bit in bed, oh, God, I'm so grateful, Right. I'm talking about those days that you do not feel it. And I and I tell a number of stories because I have lots of them. Recently my son came down. Um, I, had, I had my eye was really itchy in the middle of the night and my son uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning I realised I had conjunctivitis because I was sort of trying to open my eye. I could smell something in my room and I, and I opened this eye because the other eye wouldn't open and my son had pooped himself. He'd got gastro in the middle of the night, right? Yeah. So I'm going, what's wrong? Oh, my God, it's conjunctivitis. I haven't had it for years. And so I'm like this. I'm hosing him down. He's crying. And I'm thinking, what are you crying for, right? I'm, I'm the one that's crying here. <laughs> anyway, I'm hosing my son down in the shower going, oh, you know, with the, with the hand thing. He's bawling. And he's like, are you angry with me? And I said, no, 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 no. I'm just angry with the universe, okay? And I get into bed and he says, oh, mum, you better look at my bed. And so I go up to the bed and you can imagine and I'm like, Oh, I just, I'm feeling terrible. Anyway, I get into bed and he vomits on me and then I'm like, oh, so we clean everything again. And then the next morning my daughter comes in and I'd spent like $1,000 on her the day before for this ridiculous camp. I don't know how I got roped into spending all this money on her. And she was she was annoyed with me because she said, you know, Mum, I want to go to Kmart and spend $50. And I said, no, we've spent a lot of money yesterday. You need to enjoy that and do some homework, right? Anyway, I was a bad mother and she hated me and all that stuff. So in that moment, as I said, everyone get out because I'm going to do my ritual, right? There was nothing that I felt grateful for in that second other than and I had to find something, right? So I'm sitting there going, what am I grateful for? You know, I, I feel really <laughs> ungrateful to have had children right now. And, yeah. and I went, well, I'm grateful that that Francesca's going to camp next week because she will be out of the house. You know, I started just thinking of things and as I went through it, eventually the gratitude comes flooding in and and I and and you find those things. And so it's about being grateful every day. And I was grateful for the trees and my cat's paws and things that are simple and they're in front of me and I'm so fortunate because no matter how bad it is for us now or in the future or, you know, in the past, we are better off even in our on our worst days than 99% of the global population. And unless we know that, it's useless. The whole thing's useless, right? So gratitude is is one thing. And, and I say to, to women, don't just do it. Join a gratitude group. Get a group of girlfriends and text them every day and say, here's three things I'm grateful yeah. for. Write it down on a piece of paper. Make it a project, right? Don't just say, oh, I feel grateful today. So that's number one. 
Number two um, is dealing with the voices in your head, right? We've all got them. We've all got that, you know, that uh, that mother that says, you know, oh, you're not good enough. You should have done this. Um, you know, if we, if somebody spoke to you the way that you speak to yourself in your head, you'd probably deck them, right? And so you have to start to deal with these people that are all in your head and they mean well and they've served you well at some point in your life and they think you're protecting them. You're, they're protecting you and you feel like those egos, because there's lots of them, are really critical to your happiness and your success in life. But in fact, with all that noise, because they don't agree either, right? So the mother in me wants to do one thing, the sex kitten in me wants to do another, as you can imagine, and <laughs> somehow that she becomes the mother. You know, there's a whole lot of different personalities that live inside our head and they are all fighting for survival and they don't agree on a thing, right? So until you can stop that noise, identify them and stop that noise and start thinking, well, what's their modus operandi, what are they trying to get, why are they, you know, why is that part of me that's frightened about this, who is it, is it real, you know, try and deal with it. And the way that I do that is is, is meditation, mindfulness, but also identifying them and saying, well, who's that little girl that was treated badly, why is she so scared of abandonment and that's okay, you know, you, you know, okay, just refer to her and say thank you very much I don't I, I know you're trying to protect me but I don't need you anymore but thanks for your service right so really address these different egos personalities whatever you want to call them um, uh, and different that these different ideas in our head that that stop us from be, living our best life making decisions that are good for us and once they quieten down a bit I think you can start to really listen to who you really are and, you know, just get through ego and understand what you want. And that's been absolutely critical for me because it stops me from being reactive. I can respond to people. I don't um, I don't make ridiculous decisions. I still do, but but at least they're thought through a little bit more. You know, I'm not I'm not as knee-jerk and and I also am able to uh, think things through because I want them to benefit what I really want out of life or help me achieve my real goals rather than just being fearful or, you know, wanting to be egotistical, whatever, right? So dealing with the voices in your head and gratitude are massive. Uh, they're my two mindful ones and I and I talk about that a lot with women. Um, and that's a practice every day too, you know, to, to identify them and, and and eventually you start to go, oh, that's, that's that you know little girl again oh look at her isn't that interesting and you don't judge it so much it's like a story that you've been telling yourself for years and years and it's okay because you know that happened to me as a child so I can still keep reacting this way and doing yeah. these things but yeah. you've got to let that go at some point you've got Otherwise to let it go doing the same things over and over again yeah yeah the other one is um the two, the two physical ones, one of them is to let go of bad habits, right? So we've all got bad habits. And yeah. mine was drinking. And if, I, if you'd said to any of my friends, does Anissa drink too much, my partner, anyone, they would have said, no. But I knew. I knew I was. In my heart, I knew absolutely that that was something that was in, getting in my way. And, and I wanted that to be wrong. I wanted to be able to have a glass of wine with my friends and whatever. I didn't want to stop drinking. And so, uh, but I knew, and everybody knows, anyone listening knows what it is that they could do better. And it might be they spend too much on time on their phone. They don't get up early enough. They don't have that cold shower. It might be something really that seems inconsequential, but you know in your heart of hearts that that habit or lack of habit is stopping you from, from doing How do you stop a habit if you've been doing it over and over again for so, so long? How do you do that? How you, do, did you stop drinking completely or did you tone it down slightly? I stopped Especially completely. if you like your habit, right? That's, that's yes. even harder. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I think the first thing to do is to, you've got to admit it, say it, I, this is it, you know, I'm drinking too much or whatever, I'm doing it, right, own it, 100%. Yes. And you've probably done that and then, but you've got to do it publicly. And this is the real thing, right, Carly? If you tell your parents or your best friend or your partner or your children, I'm drinking too much, okay, yeah. you, you can't then Friday night go, sorry, that was a bit hasty of me. I wasn't really. I think I'll just have a few tonight. Once you get it out there, I told my parents, I told my partner, I told my friends. I said, I want you all to hear me, right? This is a problem and I need you all to understand that because I don't want to keep doing it. And then once you, there's no coming back from that, 
right? Because forever people are going, oh, gosh. Right, so that was one way for me was to just own it and and make sure that I I took a step that I couldn't take back. Right, so keep yourself accountable. Go and tell somebody or someone or some people. Yep, yep. That's and you right. can't take it back. Okay, Love and that. I think yeah. it's also owning the fact that it's not making you happy. You know, like if you say to someone, "I'm drinking too much," and they say, "No, you're not." If you say, "I am," and it's making me miserable it's stopping me from being happy or it's getting in the way of my happiness, they'll tend to take it more seriously. So understand mm. what the consequence of not stopping or starting mm. is, right? Um, the other thing that you've got to do is is you've got to, you've got to take a strategy, like you've got to have a strategy and it depends what it is. So, for example, for me, a total abstinence was critical. If you're taking too mm. much time on your phone, take the, you know, spending too much time on social media, take social media off or, you know, if you're spending too much money, put something in place to stop you spending money on that. You know, I went through a stage because I was a really big spender where all of my money went to my father. This is many years ago. And I had to ask him. So I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't um, access my account myself. And so I would have to ask him and say, look, you know how we've got my direct debit that's come through. It's not enough. And I always thought twice about it. And so take the temptation away. You know, don't try and be Jesus, right? Try and That's really strong for you to have done that because you are really trying to make that change by giving somebody else the power, especially coming from, you know, let's go back a few years, have you been very sort of controlling in a way to try and not get hurt, you're now putting controlling <laughs> forces in front of you yep. to actually help you. Yep. That's amazing. That's so good. I don't I don't think a lot of people actually, I think people would be scared to take that step. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's what I'm talking about. The step you're scared of, right? Yeah. Whatever the habit is that you're, you know that you could change, etc. Think about the most scary thing that you could do. Like if you're scared of spiders, go and hold a spider, right? You're scared of heights, jump out of a plane. Think of the scariest thing for you and do that. And that, what the thing that you think, I know I'll never do that. You know, I'll never, I'll never jump in that water or that's probably what. I've got to go and hold a spider now. (laughs) Really? Oh. Make it a daddy long legs because they can't bite okay. you. Right? Oh, I'll send you a photo. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> I, I think I think it's incredible because you know a lot of people are are nervous to take that that first step. But ultimately, if you're telling somebody that's making me miserable and that person really cares about you, they don't want you to be sad, so they're going to help you along that journey. Absolutely. So they've helped Absolutely. you. Yeah. So that's that's my first of the physicals. Find that habit. Yeah. We've all got it. Something we could change, and we know deep down it's not good for us. Um, the other one is to just do it. So we could talk it through. It's lovely to talk it through, you yeah. know. It's so nice and to write it down and to yeah. do all of this stuff. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm wonderful at it. But you have got to do it and it's going to be uncomfortable. I remember I was listening to an entrepreneurial podcast recently and I can't remember the guy's name. I wish I could, but I'm hopeless with names. And Me he too. said, "Yeah, good, good." What's yours again? It's okay. <laughs> exactly, Anissa. Um, <laughs> no, so what they, what he was saying was, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to start a business, not even an entrepreneur. Forget that term, right? You better really want to do it because you're going to face some headwinds. It's going to be hard, right? And anything you do that is meaningful in your life, that is going to make some really big impact on you and your family is going to be hard. And whatever you think is hard, like you think, oh, yeah, that'll be hard, but I can do it, think times it by 10. And, and you've got to get through that bit. And, you know, it doesn't matter that it's uncomfortable or it's scary or you feel worried about it. You can still do it. You can. And so you've got to learn to be uncomfortable and take action, even in dis- discomfort, right? And that's a massive one for investment for anything, really, um, I think, that, that is propelling you into a better life. Uh, action yeah everyone always says knowledge is power but I actually don't say that I think I I think action is power because you can have all the knowledge in the world and you can read all the books and you can go to all the events and all the seminars and speak to lots of people but without the action it's actually pointless yes I mean somebody was obviously you are very good at what you do Mm. you don't get to having 15 properties for being average you are quite clearly above the standard of any normal human being Mm. who can own a property 
at this moment in time, you know, you hear a lot of people speaking about how unaffordable things are to 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 get on the property ladder, but with money being so expensive, mm. what mm. are your tips there? What do you suggest? Like, just if I'm somebody, I I may not even have a deposit, um, or I may have some deposit, but everything keeps going up. The interest rate keeps going up. I keep falling short behind all the time yeah how, how am I getting started where do I go look this and this is the discomfort thing right because there's no secret sort of hey I've got a you know there's a secret button you press that button and I'll you know it'll work it's all yeah. about hard work it's going to be uncomfortable and the problem is you're quite right it's getting more unafford- unaffordable but it's going to get worse Carly it's not going to get better like we are we've we're this gap is just increasing year on year. And I think in Australia, we think we've got this, you know, right to property. Everyone should be able to buy a house. There are lots of first world countries where people, generations have never owned a property and never will, and we will get there. So my my uh, my first thing is get in. Get in because it's getting more unaffordable. It's not getting more affordable. And if you don't get in soon, you may never get in. Right, so that's that's number one. How do you do it? Well, you 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 do have to having someone that's a bit clever at not tricking the system but working the way around does help, and that's one thing that we are good at. And I'm not trying to say we'll help you with that and not give any information, but there's little things like people think you need $150,000 to buy a property. You don't. I, we've got a lot of clients that have started with 50 grand and they get into the property cycle, and I'm not saying it's easy for them, but we get them in. Right, so so there are many ways to skin a cat. I'd really like to know why we say skin a cat. This doesn't have to be a home that you live in. You could buy an investment property that could be far away, right? Absolutely. This is the other thing, right? You've got to start to realise that you're getting your foot in the door, and don't get too hung up on where you buy and what. Well, what you buy is really important because you want to make sure that it's going to give you the return that you want. But if you can get your mind around saying, well, look. I, I can buy in an area that I don't want to live, but I'll keep renting where I live. And a lot of people have got this idea that having a mortgage over their head is less expensive than renting a property and buying a house for investment. And it's absolute rubbish. It's not right at all. And so I think it's about letting go, understanding what your goals are, where do you want to be in 10 years, and then listening to the facts, listening to the numbers on how to get there, right? So a lot of the stuff that we teach people is really logical. And if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense, right? And so it's about really listening to numbers, not your neighbour or your mum or your brother's best friend. Listen to experts, whether you want to do the research yourself or you want to talk to someone. So the numbers really don't lie. Um, So that's one thing. And what you need to do is you need to sometimes change your lifestyle. You need to save more money. You need to spend less on stuff, right? And sometimes you might need to go get a second job. Do you know how many clients I've got that go work on the weekends to get a second job? Get Just to get into that first one. Because once you're in the first one, the other ones are easier, right? Because that first one does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. But if if you want to get in, there are ways, but it means potentially getting out. You have to change whatever you're doing now, right? Yeah. And a lot of people say they want something, but do they really want it? It really comes back to that again, because if you really want it, you're going to have to sacrifice something for it. You know, if you want a child, uh, you have to sacrifice part of most of you. If you want to start a business, you know, you're going to have to give something up for that. Nothing comes for free. And I do find the younger people, I'm going to sound old now, but I do find that as, 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 great as these younger people are because you just look at them and they don't want to work and and they're making money out of things we've never even thought about which is amazing but on the other hand when it gets hard they're Mm. struggling with that Mm. because things are hard sometimes and you know you do have to make sacrifices but that's okay to get to the next step so you said that if you had one property it does the heavy lifting and you could get another one. So how would you do that if you had a if you had one already? So this is assuming it performs the way you want it to. But if you say, let's say you've purchased a property for five hundred thousand dollars and all you do is you've got a tenant in that property. So you're living, you're renting where you live. You've got a property that's paying for itself and the way that it pays for itself is often not just the income that you get from tenants. It's often from tax deductions and things like that as well. But all in all, if you add up all the money that's coming in and the money that's going out, it's about equal, maybe a little bit out of pocket, right? But quite often, almost always, it's cheaper to do that than to buy a property and live in it and pay a mortgage, 
right? Yeah. So so let's say you've done that. You've got this house yeah. um, and you, you, you know, it's sort of paying for itself. You've had a tenant for a couple of years. If, the, if you've purchased the right asset in the right spot, then it's very likely that that property would have experienced capital gain, which is increasing in value. And so if you've purchased it for 500 and it's now worth, I don't know, 650 in a few years, then that $150,000 difference you can use as a deposit for your next property. Right, so it's like this. It's it, it's like saving a hundred grand a year. A lot of our clients have ended up doing the equivalent of putting away eighty to a hundred thousand dollars a year, which most of them could not do by just you know saving their cash. Exactly, exactly. And because you're getting rental income as well, am I right in saying that that's contributing to um, the the amounts that you're obviously obtaining to be able to get the loans? So yes, that's, that's yes. Uh, an income, isn't it? So that's right. you don't have to afford two properties because you're getting income on those properties too. That's right. That's right. So quite often, if we do a borrowing capacity, um, or we a mortgage broker does a borrowing capacity on clients, what they can borrow as an owner occupier is less than what they can borrow as an investor because the bank takes that additional income into consideration. Right. Yes. So that does help. And there's also other, other benefits of what we call rent vesting. So this term is rent vesting, where you rent where you live and you purchase for investment. It's not for everybody, but it's a really good strategy to consider just to get your foot in. It means that if you say, Carly, I've got $300,000 to spend and I want to live in, I don't know, South Melbourne, you don't have a lot of choices, right? And and three hundred thousand is probably a really bad example because you can't buy anything for three hundred thousand these no, days. Let's say five hundred thousand. Yeah. But if you said I've got five hundred thousand dollars to spend, where can I get the best bang for my buck? I'm not going to buy an apartment in South Melbourne. I'm probably going to buy a house somewhere that you will never live because it's not close to the amenity that you need. So it gives me it frees me up to take the amount that you can afford and get the best possible result with it. Right, and and the and the reality is that for a, a majority of Australians, the print their principal place of residence or the property they own is the biggest asset that they own in retirement. Right, that is it. So whether you like it or not, property will play a big part in your retirement. Right, for most you know mere mortals out there, you know most the bulk of the Australian public, and so if you say oh, I don't really care about capital growth, you should because that's your future. You know, and remember that. Despite the fact that we've got very hardworking Australians that are putting money away in super, something like 50% of Australians will retire on what is considered officially the poverty line. So if you say this is what's considered poverty in terms of look up, you know, the the um, definition of poverty line and then you look up the pension, the government pension, it's exactly the same, right? So if you end up relying on a pension, you're living in poverty officially, according to official numbers. So you definitely don't want to be a one of these statistics. You need property and some of the benefits of property which come from leverage, et cetera, to accelerate wealth and end up with a little bit more than just, you know, a measly sum in superannuation. I've seen you talk about buying houses through super. How yeah. does that work? So you've always been able to do it. A lot. There's a lot of ads on um, on the internet that say, "Did you know that you can now use your superannuation to buy super to buy property?" Sorry, which you could always do it. So, yeah. so the difference is that, and it's not just now. It's been around for a long time. You can leverage a new super fund, so you can use what you've got in super as a deposit part of what you've got in super and purchase and, and get a loan within the super fund to okay. buy a house. Now, that's a game changer. That's been around for a long time too. That's not new. But it's a game changer for a lot of super funds because if you think about it, if a super fund, someone's going to retire with 250000 in their super in retirement, you think about it, whether they draw down on that asset. So let's say they spend, they say, well, I'm just going to spend that money in my retirement. How long is $250,000 going to last? Not long, right? So if you use that invested and get a yield off it, that would equal a yield, just trust me on this, of about $12,000 a year. So you're not, you can't live off the passive income that $250,000 is going to produce. You can't draw down on it because it's not going to last very long. It's really not going to create much of a retirement for people. So an option is to say, well, 
why don't I use that? And it's not for everybody. You must see a financial advisor. I'm just going to put that out there that I don't know everybody's personal circumstances and I understand that. But for some people, there's the opportunity to say, well, I'm going to use that as a deposit. I'm going to purchase a property worth 500000 If that property is worth a million in 10 years or 15 years, then I've, I'm retiring not on two hundred and fifty. I'm yeah. retiring on a million or 500 when you pay the, the loan back. So you're all of a sudden accelerating wealth and, and part of that work is is just through the leverage right aspect of property and so the leveraging into a property in super is a real game changer for many Australians that otherwise will not retire with much in their super um, so you can buy in super it, there's it, it's not for everybody you have to set up a self-managed super fund and people say oh it's really expensive and hard to set up a self-managed super fund it's actually not not anymore um, you can borrow money within that super fund to leverage into property and if for the right people it can be a terrific way of really be- boosting the balance so if I'm a person sat here and I have do I have to have a certain amount in my super right now to think about doing this is there a like, is there a limit or is there a certain amount that I need in there Good to be question. able to, to go for this? What would that person look like? So it depends on what the price is. So it's not that you have to have a hard, you know, 100000 200000 It's really related to the value of property. So okay. if you could arguably buy a $250,000 property, then a balance of $80,000 in super would be enough, right, for that. So, but if if the average property costs six hundred and fifty, then you might need a balance more like two hundred to three hundred thousand to be able to fund it. So there are two things that are important when your financial advisor, mortgage broker, etc., are looking at whether it's feasible for an individual. One is the balance within the super fund, right? And the balance will relate to you know how much because what you can't do is if you've got one hundred and fifty in your super, you can't use that entire one hundred and fifty towards a deposit. You need to have a cash reserve as well. So it might might be that only $100,000 is able to be used in super and that has to represent 20 to 30% of the property's value, right? So then you need to be able to go and find a property that is is going to work, exactly. So, So one is how much you've got in super. The other is how much you're contributing because you're still getting a loan. You're not getting a loan in your own name. You're getting a loan in the in the superannuation's name. So it's completely separate to, to the individual. But So what they'll look at is not what you earn as an individual. They'll look at what you're contributing to your super fund, right? So that is the, the income that they're going to use when they stress test and make sure that you can service the loan. But if you get an investment property and you've got rental income as well as you putting money into your super, do they calculate that altogether as well? Yes, okay. absolutely, they do. And they'll stress test it a bit. So, for example, uh, and all the banks are different and I'm certainly not a finance, I'm, I'm not in finance at all anymore, And um, but I, I know that all the banks are different in the way that they stress test. And let's say that the vacancy rate for a particular area is under 1%. They might assume, well, we'll assume that this property could be vacant for more than that. We might mm-hmm. assume that interest rates are going up another 5%. Well, they all have to do that. So they're going to stress test it considerably and, and give you the loan based on worst case scenario. So the bank does a lot of the work for you in terms of understanding whether or not you can really afford the loan. Um, but yes, they do take into consideration income, uh, uh, rental income. They generally don't take the full rental income. They might take 90% of the rental income as as additional income. Just because I'm curious for myself, mm. if, for instance, you made a self-managed super fund, but then you couldn't get a loan, you're then stuck with a self-managed super fund? Do you have to do it the, that way around or can you make sure that you can get the loan before just a question I just thought. Of. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So if you've got a, it depends what you've paid for the super fund. So you could have a self-managed super fund and then, you know, unwind it and sort of just close it all down. It's basically a company, a trust, right? So you can close the trust yes. down. But if you've paid a financial advisor five to $10,000 to build the self-managed super fund, it might be frustrating that you then can't get a loan in it, right? So you'd want to do mm. a, a back of the envelope, but you'd find that your financial advisor's and even brokers are very capable of giving you 
an indication of whether or not you can borrow the money. So a broker will tend to talk to banks and say, uh, talk to BDMs and say, given this contribution to the super fund and this balance, how much could they borrow, if anything? Okay, so the only risk there is if you haven't told them everything or you've made a mistake, their back of the envelope might be slightly out, right? And it won't be advice. It'll just be, yes, you could probably get a loan. A financial advisor, if you go to the effort of using a financial advisor, will do, will, will really give you a, a full um, uh, financial advice and and be able to explain whether or not it's likely and it's never guaranteed because interest rates might change etc but they will be pretty spot on with your capability within super but if you haven't spent a lot so there are online superannuation self-managed super businesses that charge people five hundred dollars to set up a self-managed super fund if you've done that then you know the risk is that you're unwinding five hundred dollars it's not such a massive issue yeah yeah Everything that you've been saying is it, it really just leads to the same end story. You have to be strategic with what you're planning to do. You can't just expect just to fall into something. It's like, okay, let's sit down. Let's be really specific about what I want my goals to be, what I want the outcome to be, where I need to be and how I'm going to get there and all, almost re-engineering it backwards and saying, right, because yep. it, it can yep. be quite overwhelming. Yes. I mean, obviously you've been through money trouble. There must be thousands and millions of people that are going through something at the moment based on your own story you know in really really simple terms if someone's feeling really really overwhelmed right now with everything what are the three tips that you can just offer that can make them feel a little bit like they're absolutely normal and everything is going to be okay <laughs> well you're absolutely normal and everything's going to be so i think <laughs> I think number one is to put it into perspective and sometimes it takes a really bad thing to happen for us to go, hang on, let's put this into perspective. But you've got your health, you live in Australia, you know, try and understand that your worst day is the best day for many people around the world. If you can, I know that's yeah. hard when you're right at the bottom and in the ditch. But, but I say, you know, nobody's, you know, touch wood, nobody's ill, you know, my children are healthy, that's, you know, I'm, I'm here. Yes. Okay, that's a good start, right? So bring it back to basics is number one. Bring it back to basics and get, grat- get, get, get grateful. Absolutely, right? That'll come into everything I say. I think number two is to start to strip bare, like take it all away. That's fine. Sometimes it's done for you like it was for me. Take it all away and start again. Clean slate right? Forget everything you think you know, because you know nothing, right? None of us do. And just start again with a clean slate and an open mind. You know, let's say that I've got every opportunity in the world and the slate is clear. Where could I go? Where do I want to go? And and that's the fun stuff. You know, allow yourself to enjoy it. What do I want? Where would, what would make me really happy? You know, forget what you think society wants you to do and what your mother told you you should be when you grow up and all that rubbish. What would make me absolutely happy right now? You know, get back to basics and start to map that out a bit. The next thing is that you must get advice. I'm sorry, you you must. Yeah. You know, it's really important because I can't, I couldn't possibly have known what I've known without having 20 years in financial services, 10 years in property, right? And but find someone that you resonate with. If it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. But even if it's not a professional and it's somebody that you trust, that's a you know an uncle that's in financial services or somebody that has done it and, and performed well and and has got a history of as long as they can prove that what they're talking about is technically proficient and they've got a reason to know what they're talking about, you know, they're not just yeah. reading Google, then yeah. open up and ask people for their advice and ask various people for their advice, you know, really do your homework. Um, I think getting financially educated Carly in particular is one of the most important things, particularly for women, that we need to do. You must understand the basics. Don't just hand it over to someone and say, you do it. You must start to empower yourself and understand some of this yourself, and that's asking people questions. Where can people find you? Because I'm just listening. I can just hear people now being like, how do I contact this lady? (laughs) Because, look, honestly, there is so many people, like you say, go and get advice. I bet you any money that's, you know, you yourself have been to people where you just thought, oh, you, you don't either feel right or it was the wrong advice. Or you might have even done what they said and it turned out wrong. It's, you know, obviously it's just keep going. And, and like you said, find that person that you do resonate with. Yeah. Where can people find you if they're resonating with you right now? 
So the best thing to do is to get onto our website. So um, it's EDA property, so edaproperty.com.au and there's a form that you fill out and it goes directly to us and, and we make contact. We do have a number, but is it terrible that I don't know the number off by heart? Absolutely not. Um, and so, no one really wants to call anybody nowadays until they're No, 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 no. So I, I think that's good. I think get, get onto that EDA property because... Yeah, there's a little form that you can fill out. And I think that if you're feeling anything at all, that something could be benefiting you in a different way than what you're doing now and you're struggling, you're stuck, nothing that you've done has worked, then make a different change and do something different. Because yes. doing the same thing is just going to have the same result. Yes. So I I like to ask a question at the end of all my podcasts to the guests. So I would like to know what you think that your superpower is. Oh, Definitely talking. Absolutely. Like I'm just a good talker, if nothing else. <laughs> I love it. I know that's so egotistical, but I um I love talking. Just love it. I love you it. Know. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's great. The thing is, is someone's got to do the talking and someone's got to listen. You know, if no, if everyone was listening, I know you've got two ears and one mouth, but if everyone was listening, God, how boring that be? I would be boring. It would. It's just a quiet <laughs> place. <laughs> what about you? I want to know what your superpower is. What do you think? Oh, wow. Oh, God, put me on the spot. No one's asked me that. Um, I feel like I know what someone is thinking without them telling me. Yeah. I feel like I have this superpower where I can walk into a room and I can sense everything and everybody's feeling straight away and I can turn the room into a happy energy because I feel like I'm this like white light in a dark space. I feel, and that's why, you know, my company, we do what we do. You know, we're a voice for people who don't have a voice and we give knowledge and we give the power back to the people and put money back into the pockets. And I just think my superpower is putting light where there's dark. What a wonderful superpower. I, I love just that. Came up with that. that. I didn't even have a vote now. Well, bravo, Amy. <laughs> well no, you know what? Honestly, I care about humans, and yep. this is why I'm having people like you on this podcast because I genuinely want people to get value from something so they can go, shit, that's happening to me. How can I get out of this? Because we're all in a mess at some point in our lives. Yep. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more than once potentially, but only you as a person can make the action to get out of it. If you're going to sit there and cry about it and 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 think that you can't get get anything done that will that's what will happen yep. you know there are people like Anissa who can help you um yeah look you've been absolutely incredible thank you for sharing your story sure. I'm sure that you're going to get more properties because you sound like a bit of a risk taker to me but I don't know you Let's never know <laughs> you never know thank you so much thank you for that's having me looks like and everybody get in touch and uh hopefully following your footsteps thanks thank so much you. see you bye, bye. And that's a wrap from another episode of Financial Survivor Stories. We're not just about stories. We are about solutions. If there is something in your financial world that is not adding up, you need to start taking action. For financial fixes that put you first and for more information, visit getmyrefund.com.au and stay tuned for more ways to become financially successful. See you soon.